Uh, welcome to Element. If, if you are new, again, Frito Boat's outside and Rolaids, you're welcome. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There's sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes to go a little bit deeper as well as some questions. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Version. Click on More and then Events in Version. We'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I think Rolaids for you is a gift from God. Why don't you stand on the reading God's word? This is Luke chapter 9, verses 61 and 62. It says, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live in the kingdom of God, who have entered in and live in it and begin to understand the greatness of what it is. And that our lives, by how we live and honor you, would step in and change the culture in which we live today. That you would be lifted up above all things and your people would live in great joy. Amen. Have a seat. We are doing this uh, 15-week series, going to take us into Easter on Jesus' authority. This comes out of Matthew 8 and 9. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7, though, is what's the Sermon on the Mount. We spent a year going through the Sermon on the Mount a couple years ago, and at the end, people are astounded at the authority with, with what Jesus taught. Then Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus actually goes on to show 14 different ways that he had all Authority, And that's kind of what we're looking at. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to stay on, uh, we're going to hit up verse 18. Uh, last week, I had two people tell me so far that I, they feel like I got off track and went a bunch of places. I'm going to stay as best I can on target today. You're welcome. That doesn't always mean it's going to happen, but we're going to, we're going to do that. Uh, today, this is actually a message I wrote for the end of last year in our What in the World series, where we asked, where I asked some questions. I used to look at the scriptures, and I was like, what in the world does that mean? Because in some of these things, like what we're going to look today, Jesus seems to be kind of harsh. He pushes back really hard at people, and I'm like, why is that there? And then when I started doing this year, I'm like, oh no, that actually is the verses I'm looking at next year. So I had to move a couple and write a different one for last year. Probably the worst one you got last year is that one. So, this is going to be great. No, I don't know if it's going to be good or not. But anyway, so this today is going to show Jesus' authority to call disciples and to talk about what the kingdom of God means and reset their idea of that. Uh, so Matthew 8, 18 through 22 goes like this. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, there are parallel verses in this out of the book of Matthew. So I want you to open the book of Matthew chapter 9. I want to look at those as well. And some of those questions are, why does Jesus seem to push back so hard here? When we preach about Jesus today, we try to make him very soft and very cuddly, like he'd never say anything that make anybody think twice about following him. Even when I use the word authority in this series, a lot of people have a little bit of problem with that. We today preach Jesus like he's chocolate or cookies, and everybody loves some type of cookie. If you love cookies, you'll love Jesus. Don't you want to accept the Jesus cookie into your heart? It'll be so wonderful. Jesus like fudge. Just try him. You'll like him. It's so weird how we talk about Jesus today. As you read the Bible, there's times when Jesus intentionally pushes back at people. The religious leaders are one of them. And a lot of us, when you're, if you read the scriptures, you're like, yeah, those religious leaders, they needed to be pushed back against. Those religious leaders, they're always such a pain. And we don't realize that we are just like them. 
non-religious people in our world are just like the religious leaders. Religious people in our world are just like the religious leaders. We think we have it all together. Everybody needs to get on our page and do what we want them to do. Then the whole world would be better, and we don't understand that we are all jacked up. It has been pointed out that by those who are honest enough that if Jesus was a pastor of the church, which I think he actually is, our church and every other church, but more like we think of pastors today, it wouldn't have grown very fast. Because when people come up to Jesus and say, I want to follow, I want to join, Jesus is like, you need to think about that. You better go back and think about what you really want to do here. So this section in Luke 9, starting in verse 57, reads a lot like Matthew. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it tells you that was a scribe. But this guy sounds a lot like us. We will sing a song later this morning called, I will follow you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I'll move. I will follow you. And we sing, like, oh, I will follow you, Jesus. Wherever I will. And Jesus says, okay, great. Stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Stop treating everybody else around you like crap. Stop making stupid arguments on Facebook that you know is just going to make everybody else mad around you. Stop being offended so easily. We're like, I will follow you, but I'm not going to listen. <laughs> We're just like this guy. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 59, to another he said, so Jesus calls somebody else to follow him. Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Seems kind of harsh. Then you get the book. Then then this is missing from Matthew, verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why? The guy just wants to say goodbye. What does Jesus have against goodbyes? Now, if you lead any type of movement today, books on growth will tell you you need to be attractional. People need to show up and be like, ooh, hey, this is great, or that's wonderful, or that's funny, or these people are really cool. And you want people to enter in and to sign up and buy in. And this is called having a large front door. That's not a bad thing to have. But this has become really big in churches today. It's why a lot of churches have more programs than they have people. Because people come in, I want this, I want that, you should do this. Oh, yeah, okay. And so churches start doing all of these programs. People actually leave Element because we are not a program-driven church. We are a church who believes in Jesus first above everything. We believe in gathering together like this so we can worship him corporately and learn on Sunday mornings and gospel communities. Everything that we do throughout the week that you might see will hopefully come out of those gospel communities. That's what we focus on. We're not trying to get a whole bunch of programs in place. Ministrytoday.org actually had this article, and it said, How to Attract People Who Are Ready to Receive God's Word, which sounds really funny to me, because why do you got to attract them if they're ready? I, I don't, what, whatever. Now, I'm not saying we're not supposed to be a joyful, fun-filled people who love and worship, because that's who we're supposed to be. I'm saying is our focus is always meant to be Jesus first, period. He is the one who said in John 12, 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So we lift up Jesus. We don't lift up how cool we think we are or, or how great we think we are. We lift up Jesus. And if you didn't know this, Jesus is very different than us. I don't know. I don't know if you get that. So it pointed out that when you think Jesus is going to be harsh, Jesus is very kind. When you think Jesus is going to be really happy, he's like a stormy cloud. And that's not because Jesus is bipolar. It's because Jesus knows what we need. 
and he comes and he gives us what we need. How does Jesus treat prostitutes and tax collectors? He sits down and he eats with them. He sees someone with leprosy. You've seen this in the last couple of weeks that he goes and he touches someone with leprosy. Where everybody else would run away, he touches them. You see this deep tenderness where most people would have none. But then when he spends time with those who claim to be on God's team, the religious who say, I will follow you. I'm sold out for you. I want to be. He's not that nice. And he pushes back at them. So you see these three situations. The first guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. That is a first century way of asking to be someone's disciple. You will follow, says, I will do what you do and, and live as you live. If you listen to country music, Jesus, I'll listen to country music. He doesn't, by the way. If, if he... <laughs> If you say, you know, if you eat pickles, Jesus, I'll eat pickles. He doesn't, by the way. Okay? If, if he squeezes, you say, Jesus, you squeeze the Charmin, I will squeeze the Charmin. Whatever it is you do, I will do. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, because you want to look at things in context of the scriptures, this in Luke refers back to Luke 9.23. In Matthew, it looks forward to the cross in Matthew 16.24, where Jesus says, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is making commentary on this guy's words in the book of Luke, the where you go, I'll go. Because he knows the man is not going to want to go where Jesus goes. To another, he said, follow me. Now, if a rabbi called you to be a disciple, that is what you always wanted. Everybody in the society just prayed, oh, God, let a rabbi call me. Because almost no one got called. This is a dream come true. And this is kind of for us in our world today. Think of that thing that you always want. Oh, man, if I could just have that thing. Sometimes it's, it's a car, and you get that car, and you realize you've got to put gas in it. Then you got to do the maintenance, like, oh, this car is not as cool as I thought it was going to be. Maybe that promotion at work, you're working really hard to get it, you really want it, and then you get it, and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is a lot of work. You don't like that promotion. Or maybe that, that house, that you, if I can just have that house, God, that would be the, then you get that house, and you realize you can't afford it unless you do all the maintenance on it and do the lawn work, and you realize you hate mowing the lawn. It's that, it's that kind of thing. Just look at some of your garages or storage units, or maybe you have an attic, your attic with all the stuff in boxes, that you were so in love with the idea of this thing, and then you got it, and now it sits in a box. Because you're more in love with the idea than the thing, than actually keeping it and maintaining it. And I speak truth, don't shoot the messenger, you're the one who bought it, not me, okay? Jesus said, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So first off, this guy's dad is not dead. He's still alive. And according to Jewish culture, if this guy's dad was on his deathbed, he wouldn't be there talking to Jesus anyway. So what he's saying is, you know, Jesus, in a few years, when everything's kind of where I want it to be, maybe it's my New Year's resolution, then I will follow you. And what Jesus here says, is the point that he makes, is that it's not about that length of time where he's going to be, do all this stuff. In the context, it's when he says, let the dead bury their own dead. This is talking about the spiritually dead. Don't stay at home all comfy. The kingdom of God needs to be preached. The world needs to change. And you're going to go out and take my message out. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Now, we read that, and we think, well, that's not as dire as a funeral for the other guy's dad, so this should be better. But what Jesus comes back and says, when we are a disciple of his, he comes first, even above family, even above friends. What happens when you follow Jesus and your family disagrees with how Jesus calls you to deliver, how Jesus calls you to see, see the world? I think when we really follow Jesus, 
conservatives and liberals are both going to be irritated at us at some point. Because I will t- how God says, God is the God of life. God is pro, we are pro-life. That means born, unborn. That means young and old. That means domestic and foreign. We are pro-life because God is pro-life. It changes how we see marriage and sin and redemption. All those things. The, the kingdom of God comes in and it supersedes upbringing. My dad's, my dad's side of his family believes in karma and reincarnation. Both concepts are opposite and antithetical to Christianity. My, Hebrews 9.27 says, "...is appointed to man to die once." Period. Karma is about you working off your own sin on this will called samsara, which you will never get off of. My dad and I are having this conversation, and he is irritated that Christianity can let someone, maybe when they're old and really feeling sorry for the life they live, can pray and God will actually forgive them. And he's like, no, they need to work that off. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, Jesus pays our debt. Jesus is our God and our King because we can never pay our debt. If we want on a wheel of working off our sin, we will never work off our sin, ever. But Jesus comes and he pays our debt and Jesus brings us home. It's not about you working it off. It's what he has done. Jesus gives us life. Jesus is the answer. says, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, you're probably thinking, I've never held a plow, therefore, great, I'm fit for the kingdom. This is a cultural illustration. And when you're plowing a field, if you want straight lines, you've got to look in front of you. You're holding the plow with your left, you're going the oxen with your right. If you're doing this, your rows go like this. And that is not how you want to water. Okay? It just doesn't... I know, you're not farmers, okay? But you want straight rows. That, that, that's how it works. Jesus talks to these three people who don't really know what they're asking about living under Jesus' authority in his kingdom. So he's trying to wake us up a bit. I think they're a lot like us. We don't really understand what it means to truly follow Jesus. We don't understand what it means to really live under his authority. So that's what I want to talk about, what Jesus is talking about here. This is probably one of the most basic messages you will get all year. What does it mean to... Ah! Ah! <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Phil's back there like this. <laughs> you guys do not see half the stuff I see in this room, by the way. The stuff I just got to be like, oh, just keep talking. Oh, my goodness. I feel like I got jaundice now. I'm like, oh. Yeah? So we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, okay? So. What does Jesus talk about? And he talks about the kingdom of God. I'll give you three things in this. The first thing is that you enter the kingdom of God. As a follower of Jesus, you enter into the kingdom of God. You got the I will follow you and the follow me. In each of these cases, Jesus brings these guys back to the idea of the kingdom of God. Following him in terms of entering into something. Serving in something. And we proclaim this thing called the kingdom of God. It's not just ethical or moral or doctrinal improvement. Tim Keller writes this. He says, to become a Christian is not just a quantitative thing. It's a qualitative thing. It's not simply a matter of improvement, but it's a change in status and nature. He talks about it like you enter into something, like you cross a border into something. Now, last year, my wife and I went to visit her family on the East Coast, and I finally got to go to Canada for the first time. Every time I go, I'm like, I want to go to Canada. I've never been to Canada. I want, she's like, it's not that impressive. And I'm like, I don't care. I want to go to Canada. So this year we took a couple days ahead of time for we went to visit her family and went to, flew into New York and got a rental car and drove over the border into Canada. And you know what? 
She is right. It is not that impressive. <laughs> She's like, we just passed the board. It's so, okay. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Great White North. There we are. Um, it's not that impressive. But what if I did all that effort and energy, got out on a plane, flew over to New York, got the rental car, and I stopped right at the border and got out of the car and I just stood there? All I did was change my location. I'm still 100% outside the kingdom of Canada. What gets me into Canada? It's that one simple step that goes across the border. That's all it is. And today you'll hear a lot of people talk about things like conversions. Oh, I was once a Republican and now I'm a Democrat. Or I was once a liberal and now I'm a conservative. And I used to like country music, but then I woke up and now I don't like rock and roll or something like that. These are changes in how we see the world or how we think and our values. But Jesus is talking about so much more than that. But that's only what people think Christianity is. I think your morality and your doctrine is all entailed, but that's not really what this means. When Jesus keeps saying, follow me, he points to the fact that becoming a Christian is not just a matter of this moral or doctrinal change. It's a transformation of going from one realm into another. The kingdom of God is something outside this world that has come into it to heal it of its hurts and its pain and its sin and its suffering. When we believe in Jesus, the power of that good news, of that gospel that stands above past, present, and future comes into our world now. You guys ever see Peter Pan? Okay. In Peter Pan, you have this girl named Wendy. And Wendy goes to Never Neverland. She comes back, and this is what she says to Peter. She goes, Peter, all the stories are true. That's the gospel, guys. All the stories are true. It's amazing. There will be no decay. There will be no no death. The kingdom of God is real. It changes lives today. It makes all things new, even us. There's a kingdom coming that's greater than all the fairy tales can convey. And the second that we step over the boundary from being our own Savior and our own Lord and our own God to having Jesus be our Savior and our Lord and our King, living under His authority, the power of the kingdom comes into our life now. And it begins to change us and renovate us. Like we're on flip this house and we're actually the house. Following Jesus isn't going, okay, teach me the new things I have to believe or the doctrines and ethics I have to do. There's a moment where you take a step and you cross from one realm into a brand new realm. And these guys didn't get it. They seemed to think following Jesus was like becoming part of the Elks Club or the Moose Lodge where you sign on the dotted line. That's what you got. And Jesus is like, you have no idea the radical nature of what it means to follow me. He's teaching them, he's growing them, he's loving them by pushing back at them. So what you do is you enter in, and once you enter in, what do you do after you enter in? You live in it. You live in it because that's where you are. You enter in and live. The guys that Jesus talks to represent different kinds of misunderstandings of the kingdom of God. He's heading this off at the pass. So, you know, one guy says, I'll follow you everywhere I go. And the other people say, well, give me a little bit of time and and let me think about it. And kind of the thing that Jesus says is, you're not going to live in the kingdom of God unless you understand it properly. Some killer said to the effect of this. He said, the first man doesn't understand the hardness of the kingdom. The second and third man don't understand the greatness of the kingdom. So the first guy is an idealist. He's full of talk and talk and talk and not a whole lot of action. The second and third guys, they are pragmatists. And they're like, how much is this really going to cost me? The first guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go. The last two guys say, I'll follow you but first, or I'll follow you if only. The first guy doesn't do that. He just says, I'll follow you wherever you go. No conditions. Whatever you want, I'm there. And Jesus pushes back because this guy is really an idealist. And not that that's always bad, but this guy isn't really committed to Jesus. He's committed to commitment. He's not really excited about Jesus. He's excited about being excited. 
And this is the kind of thing that happens when you're really young. Some of you guys know this. You're like really excited about a, a whole lot of things. You get up in the morning and you feel invincible. You're like, yeah, I'm going to take on the day. When you get older, it's no longer like that. Okay? When you get older, you start looking up at things and it's like, what is this going to cost me tomorrow? Hey, you want to help me move a fridge? What is that going to cost me tomorrow? You start thinking about these things because you try to realize, because you get up in the morning, your back's like, oh no, you're not. You're going to stay right here. You're like, I got to talk to somebody last week about this. And, and I said, and he, he's like, I'm turning, it's Sean, our, the guy's playing drum this morning. He goes, I'm turning 28. And I go, oh, to be 28. And he goes, and he goes, why? And I said, because you don't like look left and go, oh my goodness, I just looked left and threw my neck out. What's going on? <laughs> See, you know, <laughs> you know. So when you get older, you start to count the cost and everything. The first guy, he says, I will follow you. It's just whatever you want, that's what I want. Idealists love the idea of the kingdom of God. We should all love the idea of the kingdom of God. Idealists love what Jesus says. We should all love what Jesus says. Jesus, he's confronting the scribes. He's confronting the Pharisees and all the religious leaders saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. A change is coming. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. What do you think you're doing? This idealists look at Jesus and they see the, the, the face of this societal change. Everything's going to be different. I will follow you. I can't be, wait to be part of this kingdom. And in one sense, that's great. And that's how we should see it. Because the doctrine is all the fairy tales are true. There will be no more death, no more decay, no more sorrow. All injustice is going to be put down. The brokenness is going to be healed. All true. But Jesus points to the reality. Foxes have holes and birds there have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is showing he is the embodiment, the king of the kingdom of God. And what's his life like here? He had no status, no credentials, no wealth, didn't have influence, didn't have a place to live. All the things that the human mind considers as success. And yet Jesus is healing people and he's changing lives. He turns history upside down. I think Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, until I return in its fullness, doesn't consist of any of the things you think you're going to get. It doesn't consist of your success. It's the exact opposite message of what you see in a lot of Christian TV today. Guys, I'll tell you, Jesus does not have a political party. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't have the media in his pocket. He didn't have wealth or standing or the right degrees. He didn't even have the right pedigree because his mom was a girl who was a virgin and got pregnant by God. That's his pedigree. That's his pedigree. And yet this is why the kingdom of God is to be lived in now and today. Because what does it consist of? It consists of peace and greatness of character and continual growth and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. We are promised the presence of God here and now that will last on through eternity. But many times our lives here are lived in hardship because we follow him and live for him now day by day by day. Because Jesus even wins the victory over our sin and perceived defeat. He is beaten and he is killed. So birds there have their nests and foxes have holes and I don't even have a place to go. Why? Because the kingdom of God tends to advance through self-denial and suffering at times. Paul says this in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this to the guy who says, I will follow you, because he's not campaigning for something. He's showing you he is king of the kingdom of God. That's what he wants to show us. Campaigning for something is totally different than actually being in charge of something. I mean, you guys know this. Abraham Lincoln, when he campaigned to be president, president, he promised not to abolish slavery. 
And yet, he did, and we're all happy for that. We think it's a great thing. But FDR comes in, he promises not, or he promises that he is going to balance the federal budget. And he starts the big deficits that we begin to have. President Johnson promised, I will not send American troops to Vietnam. And what does he do? Sends troops to Vietnam. President Bush comes in, I no more taxes, right in my lips. He raises taxes. Obama said he would be the most transparent of any president. He'd allow cameras everywhere. And what does he do? He got rid of all the cameras. See, there's a difference between campaigning and then what you actually do, ideals, and what Jesus really... Jesus wants us to live in the real. He doesn't campaign. He tells you how things are. He says, I'm telling you up front, none of the great things you think you may want in your life are going to happen. In fact, you may actually be just like me. That's what may happen to your life. Because the kingdom of God does not consist of the things that human beings tend to think of as success. And if you're a Christian and you suffer, you should never be surprised at that suffering. If you are and if you're shocked, like, I signed up, I gave my life to Jesus. God's supposed to bless me. Everything's supposed to go okay now. You're just like that guy. You're just like the idealist. Dorothy Sayers wrote this. She says, It seems to me quite disastrous that the idea should have gotten about that Christianity is an otherworldly, unreal, idealistic kind of religion. On the contrary, it is fiercely and even harshly realistic. Why? Because it is meant to be lived in day by day. So you enter in, and then you begin to live in it. And when you live in it, you begin to understand the greatness of what the kingdom truly is. The last two guys essentially say, when I am absolutely sure that following you is not going to alienate my family or my friends or anything, then I'll be happy to follow you. And Jesus' response to them is essentially, the kingdom is only going to be known in absolute commitment. Now, let me explain what I mean by that, because absolute commitment is not absolute obedience. We would all like it to be, I know, but nobody obeys absolutely. Uh, That's not a cop-out. That, again, is just the reality. Absolute commitment means in our lives a willingness to abdicate the throne of our life, our willingness to take all the conditions off of who Jesus is and simply give our allegiance to him as the one in authority, as our king. That's why Jesus characterizes following him as entering into and living in a kingdom because he is the one with the authority. And Jesus is, we're never going to live like Jesus is our Savior and Lord and King until we take off all of the but first and if only. If we have any qualifications or any conditions, we are the people who are just outside the border. We haven't actually entered into the kingdom of God. He says, when you follow me, you understand that I am that king. You enter my kingdom. If there are any conditions for that, you're not in the kingdom. That's why it's so basic. It's so basic. The church father, Augustine, when he was uh, living and sleeping with this woman, he goes to hear this guy named Ambrose of Milan preaching. And Ambrose of Milan preaches a sermon, and, and Augustine says he was really convicted deep in his spirit about what Ambrose was saying. And he goes, but, but he really loves, and this is, this, is, this is Augustine's writing here. He goes, but I really like sleeping with this woman. Okay? That's, that's my paraphrase, but that's kind of what he says. And, and so what he says is after going to see Ambrose of Milan, he prayed this prayer. This was the prayer he prayed. Oh, Lord, make me good, but not yet. <laughs> that sounds like us, right? Oh, God, make it, you know, I, I really am in this relationship now. It's not the best in terms of sexuality, but maybe good, but just not yet. You know, maybe you've got a job and it makes you do unethical things, but you're making a lot of money. You're like, oh, God, make me good. Just not yet. You know, we, we have all these things in our lives that we do this year. What does Jesus say? Let the dead bury their own dead. That means if anything in our life is more important to us than Jesus, that thing is going to eventually kill us. This is why Jesus talks about following him in terms of kingdom. 
because he is a king. And as much as Christians on TV today will tell you that Christianity has no demands, it does. It does. It's about who will ultimately be Lord of your life. Who are you going to see as king of your life, you or Jesus? Who is the one who has authority over your life? I believe when Jesus is Lord, when we follow him, we stop looking what's behind us at what we left and move forward. I think a lot of people, when, after they cross into the kingdom without realizing it, they're unhappy because they're always looking behind them. Oh, look at all the things that I left behind to follow you, Jesus. As you have left nothing behind of eternal consequence. You have not. We should understand that Jesus is giving us a new life now, and it doesn't coexist with the old one. If you put your hand to the plow, you cannot keep looking back at things behind you. This is what Jesus says. No one. No one who loves anything more than me can keep spiritual deadness from creeping all over your life because that thing is going to lay its hold on you. And Jesus wants us free. Let the dead bury their own dead. I think this is great news for us because it tells us there's really only two options in our lives. One of them, we either obey Jesus now, which I think is very hard, or you can decide not to obey Jesus, and in the end, your life will be lonelier and harder and will lead to more and more despair. Because nothing in this world is a good God except for Jesus. Those are the only two options. Either you give your life to him now, live in his kingdom here and now under his authority, and it can be difficult. Or you cannot give your life to him, which in the end is going to be impossible because the scriptures teach that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. I think we need to be like Joshua at the end of the book of Joshua after the Israelites are in their own country and they're starting to screw up. And Joshua looks at his people and he says, choose this day who you're going to serve. And serve. Give to Jesus. In his authority, Jesus calls us into his kingdom to understand his life, to be his people, to call us home. That's what he does. We are redeemed and we are restored to be the people of God. What do those who live in God's kingdom look like? How do they live? How do they reflect who God is? Well, that's what we're supposed to show. Our lives live for him. When we think about people being authority over us, I think we have this skewed view because of our world today, and we think of all these horrible dictators and all these crazy things that are going on. Jesus is not like those people. Jesus is God who saw our need and saw our suffering, and only one way to alleviate that, and he came and made the way for our redemption. He has rescued us. And that is the king that we sit under authority. You know what that also means? Is that how we in his kingdom are meant to live is the exact same way. We seek out people. We seek reconciliation. We seek restoration. We seek hope. We point everything to Jesus because of what he has done. He is the one who has rescued and redeemed. This is why we talk about communion every single week. You break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me to take away our sin, to take away what separated us from God and us from each other. It's a reminder. There's nothing magical about communion, but it's a great place to remember what Jesus has done and who he calls us to and how we begin to live in his kingdom. Our God is great and he is good. And it's not that we give him authority. He is the one who has all authority. We just begin to live underneath it. Give him great glory in what we do. The band's going to come up, as they do. We invite us to take communion, be some deacons and elders in the back if you would like prayer. Uh, If you've never stepped into the kingdom of God, they'd love to pray with you about that. If it's kind of confusing to you, and I was all over the place, they would love to talk to you 
about that. If you have any prayer requests, I'd love to pray with you through those things. You know, when, we, when we talk about Jesus and, and worship and all this stuff, sometimes Mike, one of our elders a couple weeks ago, told me, he goes, you downplay music so much. And, and I said, well, well, yeah, I do. Because when a lot of people say worship, the, the word worship today, they, they mean music. And of all the words in the New Testament that we translate as worship, none of them have anything to do with music. But that's how we've done it today. We think it's only like this singing that's worship. Everything you do is worship. Everything. Sitting in this room and listen to me yak at you for the last 35 minutes. That, when we grow, that, that's, that's considered worship. How you love in each other's lives is considered worship. How you function in your family, at your job, outside as well, that's worship. Music is also that. I think it draws our hearts in certain ways, and, and sometimes I do downplay it a lot, and I don't mean to. But we will worship through some music, okay? But we also worship through giving. That's why there's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. We worship God by how we give. There's a whole bunch of cookies in the back. I don't know what happened, but it rained cookies last night or something. But there's a million of them back there. Grab some cookies and start meeting some other people. And this week, grab some of those sermon notes and start talking to one another. Worship God by how you interact with each other. Help one another grow to understand what it means to live in the kingdom of God day by day by day. Encourage one another. I, I'm telling you, in the last couple of weeks, I, I keep trying to reset people on both sides of the political spectrum, who are going really crazy right now. And every time I do, I get yelled at from both sides. I kind of feel like that means I'm doing my job, right? <laughs> but I keep, and I'm, and I'm thinking, sometimes I want, I want to stop, and I, and I don't try and do it in a way that's just condescending. I try and do it in a way that calls people back to understanding who Jesus is. And, and, I, and I keep trying to do that about living in the kingdom and showing what the kingdom is and stuff like that. And it's like, Arr! and I... Sometimes I want to stop, but then I kind of get off on it. Um, but I shouldn't do that either. But, but I, I don't want to be so. I want to always point Jesus, people back to Jesus. Always. Always. You know, not, not my own political preference because that doesn't matter. What matters is who Jesus is and how he saves, and he is the one that rescues us, and we live under his kingdom. So let's be a people who do that. Focus on him first in what we do. Live under his authority. Because in living under his authority, we will live in the hope that the world needs. And I think we will display and show that. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to surrender all to you. That every bit of us would be surrendered to your goodness and your greatness. And we'd begin to live in the place that you call us to the kingdom of God. God, that it wouldn't be an idea of getting out of this place to some other place that we haven't messed up, but it would be the idea of living for your kingdom here and now. And that would begin to change the culture in which we live, to be more redemptive, to have a deeper understanding of your goodness. Father, teach us to grow in the ways of surrender, in the ways of living under your authority. That when we think of you, we think of the great joy that it is to live under your authority. And in that, we would become your people in this world. So the entire world would know the greatness of our king, the kingdom that we are a part of even though now today we live here in this place. 
and we would worship you by all that we do, whether it's in this room or outside of this room, that our words would be salted with words of the kingdom, and you would be praised and honored and lifted up and that you would draw all people to yourself because it is you that we lift up. Teach us to truly live in your kingdom as your disciples. Everything surrendered to you. And that we in turn would grow and live and speak of your great hope that has rescued and saved us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.